Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Gitta Swillen, Swansea City fan and contributor to The Jackcast. Um, if you want to find us, you can find us at The Jackcast. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. You can get us on Twitter at the Eagles Beak, and I'm also a social media manager and football pundit on a local radio football show um, called Back of the Net, and you can get us on Twitter at underscore Back of the Net underscore. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week, which, as it turns out, were a whole bunch of wins. <laughs> we'll start off with Gitto. Uh, you overturned Chelsea who uh, were thinking that they had a shot of climbing up into the European spaces. You took care of them, are definitely safe now. What was your view of that match? Uh, it was uh, it, it was nice. It was, the, it was a day of firsts, really. It's the first time that we've beaten the reigning champions since we were promoted to the Premier League, and uh, the first time that we've got a league win over Chelsea, um, which felt quite nice, especially since we probably should have beaten them on the opening day of the season when we tore them to pieces in what led to you know the start of their demise really um but it it was really encouraging because uh, it was the return really of a lot of the things we've been missing um this season it has to be said first of all that Chelsea played largely a reserve side so we're not going to read too much into it um they they were very experimental but it was nice to see a Swansea team uh, approaching a match positively playing with width and playing with pace again uh, Guidolin selected Jefferson Montero from the start, which was a bit of a surprise, but really, really uh, positive move. Something the fans have been calling for for a long time. He's been out of favour for a considerable amount of time now. And he looked brilliant. Um, he had his pace and confidence back. Toas Pinaqueta to pieces in the first half, set up numerous chances and reminded us again of what a great player he can be. Uh, and we just hope now that this is the start of his sort of prolonged period in the team and that we can see far more of him. Um, but other positives, Andre Ayew was back in the team. Pulaski was giving a start ahead of Bafatim Gomez and, and did a far more effective job than the Frenchman. Um, Gilfie Sierson has kept up his incredible scoring run this year. Um, the holding midfielders of Cork and Fair were among our best players, um, which is a bit of a surprise because Leroy Fair... Uh, well, so I should say I've been pleasantly surprised by Leroy Fair. I wasn't enthusiastic when we signed him, but he has uh, done very well, it has to be said, and had a great game yesterday. And generally speaking, we we just played a far more attractive style of football and played to our strengths once again, once again which was the really encouraging thing. Um, but, of course, that 
actually isn't the biggest piece of news at our club uh, yesterday, surprisingly, because straight away after the game, it broke that we are probably going to be taken over, um, which is actually huge news, um, obviously. But uh, it, the, the people looking to take over are uh, Jason, Jason Levian and Steve Kaplan. Uh, they're not familiar names to us. They are two Americans uh, who've done very, very well investing in the NFL. Uh, in, sorry, not the NFL, the NBA. Um, and have dabbled in soccer, as they call it, with, uh, the, uh, with DC United. Um, but the fact that we are being taken over is something which has really got, got tongues wagging, really, this side, this side of the Atlantic. Because um, our, well, our management system then is, is pretty unique in the sense that we were saved when we were right down the bottom of League Two by a group of fans. Um, we all, well, fans just all chipped in to save the club. Uh, and since then, we have gone from basically the brink of bankruptcy to being one of the 30 richest clubs in the world. Um, and it's all been done through local fans, you know, um, and building up the club gradually in a very sustainable um, and, well, a very sustainable approach with the club's long term interests at heart. And it's been a major, major, major success story, the likes of which really doesn't exist in, in British football anywhere else, if I'm being honest. Um, and so that it looks like that beautiful era is coming to an end, um, which is both, you know, sad, but it's also a little bit worrying because we don't know what's coming in. All we have heard so far is that they would be looking to invest in um, new players and on stadium expansion. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, th those are largely irrelevant. What, what we want is that um, is people who are going to realise the, uh, the character of the club and what we've actually built our success on over the, over the last 10 years or so and really keep that going. We don't want things to change because it's been so successful. And so the prospect of outsiders coming in albeit maybe with good intentions, is worrying, it has to be said. Yeah, I know that there's a lot of fans stake in, in the club. Is is that still going to be maintained? Are they just getting a majority share, or, or is it kind of a, a sweeping deal? The deal, as we understand, is that they would be getting a majority. Um, they, they, they're looking to buy around 70% of the shares, um, but the supporters' trust is determined to keep their shares and keep and, and it's one of the big sticking points people are insisting that the sporters trust must retain its place on the board and retain its influence at the club which is one of the key sort of aspects of, of of the way the club is run and it's it's one of the key reasons we've been so successful the fact that fans have a major say in the way the club is run and the club is run for the fans more than anybody else um also as part of this deal hugh jenkins apparently the current chairman would be kept on um, in some role, at least. It's not yet clear what kind of role that would be. Again, he's been essential to our success. He's, been, he's an absolute hero um, around Swansea, and, and it's absolutely essential that he keeps his place um, really at the heart of the club and running day-to-day -day footballing affairs because he's he's done an incredible job. The man's a genius. Um, a, a very unlikely genius, but a genius nonetheless. So, it's still at the moment quite sketchy and unclear. Uh, the supporters' trust is unhappy because apparently 
um, that this news has come out has been leaked without them having a proper chance to um, to scrutinise things and to uh, to you know really work out what's going on. Um, fans' reaction, really encouragingly, actually, a lot of a lot of fans would just see pound signs flashing and would jump at the opportunity to just take any cash, you know. Um, but fans are genuinely sort of trying to find out more about these people. What can we expect from them? Is this going to be a good move for us or not? Because about a year ago, there was talk about John Moores, another American former owner of the um, San Diego Padres, I think it was, who um, looked to uh, get start investing in the club. And there were so many things about that deal which sent red lights flashing um, that in the end, it just scuppered the deal entirely because fans became so concerned about the nature of the deal that they said, okay, we're not going to go ahead with it. This one looks far further down the road and it does look, and they do look like better options already than John Moore's, but I still think a lot of, a, a lot of research needs to go into these people. And if they are to take over, which probably looks likely now, then they need to, they, they need to be told what this club is all about um, and work in the best interest of the club. A point just keep as many of the current batch there as possible, and they'll see they should see a return on their investment. Then, if I'm honest, they're better off just leaving things the way they are if they want to make any money out of the club. Mm. Um, all right, Jay, not to bury the lead or anything, but Crystal Palace won a match in 2016. We did, yeah, it's been a long time coming. Um, great result in the end, really scrappy game, I have to say, but we did what we needed to do to get. To get the three points yesterday, I think we showed enough quality in the game. Pardew took the opportunity to make a few changes before the game. We have struggled recently, although there have been signs since we got the draw at Sunderland at two-two, which we should have really won, um, other than Barini getting that extremely late goal, which was uh, you know kind of a bit of a shot from nothing, but it turned out to be a good goal. But um, we, we've played pretty well. I think I said on the last podcast we've been unlucky. I think in in, in games before that. Um, Liverpool game at home, um, we all know what happened in that one. Leicester at home, we narrowly lost 1-0 and I think we had had better at a game actually and, and finally we actually found ourselves a way of winning a game and it, it's against Norwich, you know, a struggling side who are in worse trouble uh, than we were. Um, I have to say, I've, I've not been that worried. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Palace fans have been concerned about our, you know, our, our drop-off in form and, you know, when we started or when we ended 2015, we were fifth in the table after our home draw at Swansea and then um, we, we've not won a game in the Premier League, at least, um, since then. It's, it's been over three months um, and the oddest thing is that we've managed to beat Premier League sides in the FA Cup to get ourselves to semi-final and there's no rhyme or reason why we've managed to, <laughs> managed to do that, whether we just turn it on in a cup or not all, or whether there's a feeling that, you know, first half season was so good there and then we'll turn our attentions to the cup. I can't can't believe that for one second would be the case. But um, I know a lot of Palace fans have been concerned. Um, for me, it was great to see us win yesterday. There was an awful lot of relief around the ground. Um, as I mentioned, Pardew made a few changes. He he dropped uh, Wilf to the bench, actually. Wilfred Zaha, who he's had a, he's had a few off games lately. He, he started to get very frustrated at some of the treatment he's been getting during games, some of the tackling and not doesn't get much protection. I think he's the most fouled player in the Premier League this season. Uh, which says an awful lot. Um, and I think Pardew's kind of addressed that and said, right, you know, give you a break. And um, and, and he's a fantastic option from the bench, I have to say, and it, and it really proves proved as much yesterday. Um, but Bakary Sacco started in his place. Um, Johan Gabay came back in the side uh, after missing a game through injury. And we also had Dwight Goer, who um, was given the, 
the chance to start in, in the lone stri- striker role. Um, unfortunately for me, Dwight Gale can't, he can't play that role. He really struggles. Uh, he's, a, he's a short guy. You know, he tries, he battled hard yesterday. He really did. But when we're, when, when we're putting balls up to him in the air, he, he's never going to win, um, you know, headers against central defenders. He, he won a couple, but, you know, to, to make the ball stick, you've got, you've got to play to his strengths and, you know, put the ball on the ground, you know, let him run against those defenders or even just play it to feet so he can hold it um, and protect the ball. But, um, yeah, we worked hard yesterday. Um, midfield, Mila Jednek was exceptional. Again, uh, he's found his place back in the side after being in and loss of form and to be fair at the start of the season he was he wasn't in our first 11 after being such a a good stalwart for us in the midfield for the last two seasons um but he's fought his way back and he, he's been he's been excellent Johan Gabay was uh, brilliant yesterday um some of the stats are yesterday on Johan Gabay's performance I think he ran 11 kilometers during the game um made made something like um 60 tackle no made, no he made 60 sprints that's what more than any other palace player in the game um, just showed an awful lot of you know what the game was about yesterday. And first half was very scrappy. Um, I think the worrying thing was it's uh, the old goalkeeper debate for Palace. We've struggled with goalkeepers this season. Uh, Hennessy's made a few mistakes, but on the flip side, he has made a few saves in games, which has which has won us points. So, but it's always the errors that seem to seem to be highlighted a lot more, which, which is a problem. And yesterday, very early on in the game, he went up for a cross, which it should be bread and butter for a keeper of his size, and he completely missed it. And from that moment on, our defenders weren't giving a ball back to him. You know, when, when they're facing their own goal, they were rather turning to kick it out of touch or trying to kick out a field, which is which was a real concern. But to be fair to Hennessy, he came back into the game later on, made three good saves, which kept Norwich at bay. Um, so, it, you know, it's Jekyll and high scenario, isn't it? And goalkeepers can, you know, either lose a game or win a game generally uh, from, from how they play. Um, but very happy. Jason Punchin is a local lad. You could see the emotion on his face. It meant an awful lot. That's his first goal of the season. He's been frustrated this season with his performances and then he has spell out injured and he's got his way back into the side after injury. And and great goal. I mean, it's it was good enough to win, you know, many a game out there and he took it so well and the roof, you know, the stadium erupted at that point. And it was, I must admit, it was the fans were jumping before that, you know, kind of being that 12th man and trying to help the team along. Because at some points in that first half, yeah, Norwich didn't particularly offer an awful lot, but they're they're very quick at getting forward, getting their players forward, and just luckily for us, they wouldn't, they couldn't seem to find that final ball, you know, uh, which has been very elusive for us um, in recent weeks, I have to say. Um, but the goal from Punching was excellent, raised the roof of Sellers Park. Um, I think later on, Norwich puffed and puffed a little bit. Um, pantomime Willem came on which is Patrick Pamford after his comments at the start of the season when he left Palace and went back to Chelsea he came on and uh, uh, made two consecutive passes straight out of play which uh, obviously uh, uh, may please the uh, please the home fans but very happy to get that monkey off our back in a way and as the old saying goes because everywhere we've looked everywhere we've read it's all about Palace how many games we've gone without a win in the Premier League this year um, and it started to become, I think Pardew alluded to it in one of his interviews, that it started to become a big thing that the media just seemed to focus on that all the time. And that's all the questions they ask. Um, so it's fantastic to get that win. And hopefully we can kind of look forward a little bit more to the semi-final because that three points now puts us on, what, 37? I, I don't I, I don't think those teams below us are going to get to that 37 point. If Norwich do, then they'll survive. I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. I think Newcastle and Sunderland are pretty awful. 
Um, but I, I think we get something between the A and the season. We've got Everton on Wednesday. Um, they don't travel very well. Good side, I admit, but they're you know I think if we win that game, we go above them. So it shows how how tight a table is down there. So I think um, you know there is scope for us to kind of push up with a couple of wins. So very happy to get you know to to kind of banish that terrible record we've had. Look forward to the FA Cup. Get a few more points in the season, and then we'll see. Uh, we see how, how happy we are at the end of all that. Yeah, you're you're six points clear of Norwich and have a game in hand against an Everton side with the sixth worst defense in the league. So mm. you got to be pretty confident about that. Obviously, it's been a tale of two halves. People saying it's been on par with you. If you look at the fixtures, a lot of it happened right around when Belasi got injured. Which mm. do you think is nearer to the true ability of this team, the first half or the second half that we've seen? Good question. Um I mean, that, I think that first half kind of, I think that sets the fans up for a bit of a fall, doesn't it, really? Because there's only one way of going from that position, and that's down. Um, a lot of teams have done it. They've started well. I don't think Palace have ever really done that. We've never started well. In the last two seasons, you know, we, we've been favourites to go down. This season was always going to be a bit of an odd one because there was a little bit of expectation around, not just around, you know, fans and around the club locally, but... In, in the media and the press as well, through some of the signings that we made, you know, Hank Abai, spent money on him, spent money on Wickham, um, and we did hit the ground running. I mean, right up to the end of the year, I have to say the last few games at the end of 2015, we were kind of huffing and puffing a little bit. Um, but even through that period, uh, we were starting to lose players for injury. And it, I think it's a combination of different things. I can't actually put it down to... Um, one factor, whether it be Pardew or the Blassie injury, but I think Blassie being injured when he was, um, that was our last, that was our last win in the Premier League, which was Stoke away on the 19th of December. Um, he was injured at the end of that game, celebrating the goal, <laughs> oddly enough. And I think that showed to us, with him being out injured, it showed to us exactly how important he is to the team. Um, although he did have a stinker of a game yesterday. Um, <laughs> Which is good because we have other players that can step up, you know, into the role now because we're getting those players back fit. Personally, I've never known a season like it through for injuries. Um, not make excuses at all because a Premier League side has a squad of players, but I have to say our bench is not going to be the same bench as Man United's or Arsenal's or you know other other teams up there. Um, and that's where I think we've struggled a little bit. And yes, we probably have had the best squad that we have done for a while, but not to cope with the amount of injuries we've had this season. But combine that with players that have lost a lot of form, Punchin, for example, he's not been anything like he was last season or the season before. Um, MacArthur, we lost through injury. I mean, MacArthur is that silent player. He gets on with a job, does a silent job. No no thrills, just gets on with doing that job that he needs to do, fits in well in the team, perfect for us. Doesn't get raved about in the press so much, um, but we've missed him hugely since he... um, fractured his ankle so um you know players like that Yednat's come in but he got injured Kabai's missed a few games here and there you know there's been a lot of chopping chopping and changing in the team um and yeah it's been a combination thing and the goalkeeper scenario which I mentioned earlier that hasn't helped us at all either um one minute Hennessy's making a fantastic save next minute is making an absolute howler uh, which we know keepers do but we just want a bit more consistency from him um in, in terms of the goalkeeper I mean He's very. I know he's going to have a blinder in the summer. <laughs> he really will have a blinder in the Euros, particularly against England. I know it for sure. But he's a frustrating keeper because he doesn't. He's a big keeper. He should own. He should own his penalty area, but he doesn't. He, he tends to stay on his line. Um, very rarely exits his six-yard box. 
Um, and for a big, big keeper flapping at crosses, it's not great. Um, so that's a, that's a, that was a big that's been a big problem for our defence because they haven't really trusted him. Um, and to not trust somebody that you're playing in front of is you know puts that doubt in your mind. However good just however good your defenders are, um, and it's happened. You know I've seen heads go down when Henderson has made a mistake and let a goal in. Villa game was a perfect example when he dropped the ball between his legs. It just rolled over a line and the defense, you know, the two defenders in front of him, the central defenders, heads down straight away, and it's like, you know, what 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 do they what have they got to do? You know, they can defend for, you know, for however long in a game that they need to, but if a keeper makes a howler like that, then it's uh, it's difficult. But we got through it yesterday. He made some good saves at the end. Um, you know, we have three good keepers at the club, um, but Sproni's never been used at all this season. He's not seen any minutes after being so good the last couple of seasons. Uh, McCarthy's come in as well, but he's come in and made howlers as well. So it's it's a it's a real it's been a real problem for us. But like I mentioned, I can't put my finger on any one thing. Pardew's admitted he's made mistakes as well this season. I think it's just a combination of things, really. Um, thankfully, we got that win yesterday, uh, which in a lot of fans' minds, not so much mine, a lot of fans' minds, it's given it's breathing space now um, to perhaps look ahead and, and and try and enjoy the FA Cup semi final and uh, and and look to try and get into that final. All right, thanks. And uh, for Tottenham, the Le- the Leicester result didn't go our way to start the day, um, but hard to be anything but pleased with our performance. We struggled to find our footing for the f- most of the first half, I'd say, and uh, we-, we were just unable to hold possession or play out from the back uh, with credit due to Manchester United, who pressed us less than Liverpool did, but much more effectively um, in-, in disrupting what we were trying to do. Uh, then right before halftime, we really started getting back into it. And then Louis van Gaal made a couple of strange decisions, including the decision at halftime, which was the replacement of Marcus Rashford. Louis van Gaal brought on Ashley Young, which, you know, maybe you go with Depay, but it's fine. Go Ashley Young. Makes sense. Just slide Martial over to striker. You play Ashley Young on the wing, right? No. Ashley Young played up top for Manchester United. With Martial staying on the left, which pretty much killed all forward movement that they had. See their five shots and one shot on target. And then Fosu Mensa, who was having a terrific match for them at right back, picked up a knock. Brought on Matteo Darmian. Uh, and then all, <laughs> all hell broke loose. Uh, that substitution took place in the 68th minute. And by the 76th minute, Tottenham were 3-0 up. That's Martin Skirtle levels of capitulation. <laughs> um... Lamella, who missed a sitter in the first half, was really overthinking stuff in the, in the first half, which he tends to do sometimes, and he's so brilliant when he just kind of lets his body react, and that's what largely happened. He had a 20-minute stretch that was just brilliant, loads of chances created, and got a goal himself, which was very well taken. Uh, and it, if you look at our record of matches against top clubs when Lamella starts and when he doesn't start, it's pretty... Stark, that like particularly over Sun, who really needs to adapt quickly because he had a good first few matches, including one against Palace that I'm sure Jay won't forget. But <laughs> he really hasn't put it together since. He's just very inconsistent, very light on the ball, takes a lot of poor touches, and gives away a lot of scoring opportunities. He gets himself into those positions, but that's the place where you can afford errors the least. And uh, unfortunately for him, a lot of them are unforced to borrow a tennis term. Um, random stat on those uh, Manchester United substitutes. All three of them picked up yellow cards after coming on. 
doesn't really mean anything, but I just thought it was a pretty interesting thing. Where this match leaves us in the big picture is that I, I mentioned coming into the week, well, two weeks ago, really, that I thought we needed four points from Liverpool and United to still be quote-unquote in the title race, and we have done that. Um, I considered this one a six-pointer for Champions League qualification. Now, having beaten them, I'm now fairly certain that we are a lock for the Champions League, and I think this pretty much cemented the top three of Leicester, Tottenham, and Arsenal in some order. I still think Leicester are going to be the winners, but um, seven points back. See, it's really funny how Tottenham fans view those last three matches uh, <laughs> that Leicester have. From It's Manchester United, Everton, and Chelsea. And when it looked like we were 10 points behind, which we were before this match, people were like, well, you know, United and Everton aren't the teams they have been, so Leicester are going to win it. Now we're just seven points back again. And people are like, you know, if United, Everton, and Chelsea do the business... Like we can, like you can't just vacillate that much based on a match that they didn't play in. Um, I do think they have a tough run in with West Ham, then Swansea, United, Everton, Chelsea. That is a tough run, but the problem is you're choosing both positives and, and ignoring the negatives. Manchester United are a very stout defensive team as long as Darmian's not playing, as was evidenced today. Everton can attack but can't defend, and Chelsea are a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, as we've seen with the random results they pulled, including their their loss to Swansea yesterday, which was, as you mentioned, they're they're already rotating their squad. They're testing out some of their youngsters for next year. But are they going to do that down the stretch? Because Chelsea have some pretty big fixtures that could decide kind of both sides of the table because they still have City, Leicester, and Tottenham. And at the other side of the table, I forget who they have, but they have a couple of those guys that could decide who stays, or, sorry, who stays in the Premier League and who goes down. So that is all very interesting, but where it leaves us, I think that we will finish second or third. I think this is pretty much Leicester's title. They've just had too many of these games where there's like a few things go their way. Um, Fabio Barini had a chance uh, for Sunderland that he put off his face. Uh, I, I think it was Jack Rodwell had a chance to curl one in and just put it over yeah, the bar. Did, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it, was, it was pretty poor from him. It, just everything, everything is going right for them, and I don't see it going badly enough. But yes, they have four tough matchups. But as somebody that covers fantasy, they have four tough fantasy matchups. Like West Ham have a really good attack and an okay defense. Manchester United have a really good defense but an iffy attack. Everton have a terrific attack and an iffy defense. And Chelsea, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get each week. So is there a chance that they will, you know, just pick up four more points the rest of the season? It's technically possible, just highly unlikely. Um, our goal difference is now plus 35, which is better than our last three seasons combined, which would be 29. And uh, we are nine points away from beating our club record for points in a season, which was 72, which would be a ridiculous point to reach in a season where the overall points are so low. Like We're talking about Leicester probably going to win the title on about 80 points, which would be the lowest since Manchester United, I think. I think in 2011? Man, really shouldn't have gone out on that limb. <laughs> I think it was 2010 or 2011. Um, so th these are all huge positives for Tottenham as a club. Huge signs of intent. We were under a lot of pressure today. Put out a very strong side. Our best 11, Jan Vertonghen stepped in without a hitch. We have so much to be happy about. And I've said this often, and I'm sure people that listen every week are really frustrated with it. 
But we really need to be proud that we're ahead of the clubs we are instead of being disappointed in the club we're behind. Just what we've done this year is incredible. Sky marketed it after the Leicester win this morning, saying that we'd bottled the title race. We never should have been in the title race. We should have been in fifth or sixth. Like, oh, they've screwed up their season. Oh, they're crap. What? How? Anyway, just keep perspective is all I'm saying. Unfortunately for us, though, our win against Manchester United made Leicester mathematically a lock for next year's Champions League. First time in their history. They are now four points away from locking up an automatic qualification spot, which is a spot in the top three, and nine away from winning the league, which is very doable based on their current form. Um, so my question for you guys is, obviously loads of people doubted Leicester. Some hosts of the show may or may not have had them in their relegation fight <laughs> at the start of the season. Um, obviously that's not true. So many people have come out throughout the season. The schedule isn't going to work for them. The squad isn't good enough. Other teams are going to get better. What are some instances at your clubs where the doubters were abound and out in force and saying your club couldn't do it and then you turn things around? At Swansea, that were recent history is just one long story of that, if I'm being honest, and that's not me being cocky or anything like that. It is just we every single step up that we've taken, um, it, people have said, well, they're not going to be able to do it. And every time we've lost a manager, people have said, oh, well, this is where the downfall comes now. Um, but every single promotion that we've had, we we haven't been favourites for it. When Roberto Martinez left, uh, we were expected to just lose everything that he had built. Um, same thing when we appointed Brendan Rodgers after losing Paulo Sousa. Um, people were you know, saying we could even go down to League One when in actual fact we went up to the Premier League. People said we would... We would go straight back down. We're still here after five years. Uh, when Brendan Rodgers left, people said that we go down. When Michael Audrup left, people said we'd go down. When we got rid of Michael of uh, Gary Monk, people said we'd go down. And you know, we've we've just kept on doing what we've been doing really for the last few years. Um, I think sometimes people are, you know, it's easy in football when when something big like a manager leaving happens, you know, you think, oh, well, that that's clearly going to be the end of their good run then. Um, you know, with Leicester, we were saying, well, yeah, they're playing very well at the moment, but come on, when they get to the second half of the season, we're going to see a collapse like we saw, you know, with with South, Southampton, say, a few years back, you know, where they couldn't keep it up for an entire season. Um, and it's nice, obviously, the Leicester have, have managed to keep it going, but yeah, at Swansea, we take great pride in the fact that we've sort of uh, that, that we've um, kept on succeeding despite doubters can constantly predicting that we this is going to be the year that it all comes to an end. Um, somebody actually retweeted earlier um, uh, relegation predictions from January for um, the Premier League by the Gillette Soccer Saturday pundit, and every single one of them said that the Swans would be relegated, and we're now in what approaching mid-April, and we're we're already safe. You know, it's it, it's it's really nice. It gives it's 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 one of the most satisfying things about being a Swansea City fan that we do keep proving people wrong and we do keep excelling um, and and overachieving really, despite every single thing that um, has gone against us. So it's yeah, it's it's one of the better things about being a Swansea City fans that actually I can't 
think of a single example for this one. It's just I've got too many to list. Yeah, one of one of my favorite things about doing this show is how uh, level-headed and pragmatic most of our guests are. And it really shows in what you're saying and what Jay was talking about earlier. Because, I don't know if you remember this, but the first couple of weeks, you know, I think you beat United early again, right? Yeah, we beat United. We, we, we and had people were saying... Yeah, and people were saying that, like, this was going to be the year that Swansea, like, made the big jump up. And so the media put the pressure on, like, oh, this is Swansea's year. And then as soon as things started ticking downwards a little bit, they're going to get relegated. <laughs> Same thing happened with uh, Crystal Palace. Like, we on this show talked about your chances for Europa League. Exactly. Like, yeah. in earnest. And then <laughs> you lose a few matches and you're like, oh, well, you're crap. Like, it, it really is a lot of overreaction. And... and it's easy to do about other clubs, but if, if, as a fan of your club, you can just kind of ride that out. Is, is a lot of the success at Swansea sustained despite the managerial, managerial departures due to kind of the consistency at the board level? Uh, consistency at board level, the fact that we've kept key players for a number of years. Um, I mean, Angel Rangel played his 300th league game um, wow. uh, over, over the weekend. There's a guy who's been written off several times, you know, and, and he, he still does a job for us, you know, and this is guy bought for £25,000 um, about, well, what, what, 10 years ago, less than 10 years ago now, um, who's gone on to be a very capable fullback in the Premier League in his day and still, even though he's lost a degree of pace, um, still does, does an adequate job, you know. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's just, we, we haven't been too reliant. I mean, Martinez, it's fair to say, started everything off in terms of the the beautiful football, the re, you know the current style that, that we've got. He was the one that introduced that. He was the one that really changed things massively at the club on the pitch. Uh, and when he left, I think that's when, if it was going to go horribly wrong, that that was when it was going to happen. Um, but you know, we we got through that, and then since then. Managers have just sort of built on what's already there rather than reinventing the wheel. Um, and it's just the fact that once you've got that philosophy in place, um, you know, it, it can take you a very long way. And that's, what, that's what's happened with Swansea. Fair enough. Jay, uh, what were your kind of moments of people saying you couldn't do it and then you did? Well, it's very similar to Swansea, really. I think we're quite similar in the fact that we've had financial problems I mean we haven't been down the leagues quite as far as Swansea have although you know, all those years ago we were we, we started from you know the lower leagues but financial problems back in well it's, it's six years ago now um, we were less than 24 hours from going out of business remember that feeling awfully well being written off at that point you know people saying that you're not going to have a club to support is quite difficult to take and, and Guto would probably say um, very similar is that you know it's 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 a horrible feeling and I remember I was away at the time that they were waiting for a decision from the um, financial company um, at Lloyd's in London and um, the, the feeling of euphoria being told that the, you know somebody had taken over a club which is actually you know the five guys or the four guys four Palace fans excellent businessmen made their own money came in saved the club but ever since then it, Palace have always been underdogs I've always known Palace to be underdogs and this season like I mentioned earlier, it's been very odd because we've not been considered to be underdogs. And you mentioned there, Kev, that you know we started the season very well, and the media were even talking about not you know not Palace fans. This is the media talking about Palace being 
potential contenders for the Europa League. I mean, that is just something uh, we've 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 never experienced. So I've experienced similar um, back in the early nineties. We finished third uh, in in the old first division one season, which was the time when English clubs were banned from Europe, which is just typical. That's kind of typical Palace, really. Um, so we never never played in Europe because the English teams were banned at the time. But um, you know that that was some good times. But that's probably the only time I've ever kind of experienced anything close to to that. I mean, going back even further, that I think nineteen ninety Cup final, uh, we 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 made the final against United, but the semi final was just against Liverpool was only going to be one result. You know, nobody gave Palace a hope. We we faced Liverpool in in at Villa Park, a neutral grounds. Um, that was early in my kind of Palace supporting years, but I just remember it vividly in that nobody gave us a chance. Liverpool were the big side at a time. Liverpool beating us nine nil in the league that season. That was our first season in in the top flight. Um, first time I'd I'd known Palace to be in the top flight. Um, yeah, we'd gone to Anfield, lost nine nil, come back of our tail between our legs, and you know, for, you know, we managed to survive that season, which was. Uh, which is great, but um, um, Liverpool went one nil up half time. They're one nil up, and still, still no hope. And we managed to beat them four three. Um, and that is just even now is is one of the games that I can remember um, as being the game of our kind of you know well the history of my time supporting them. But ever since then, it's been very similar. We've always been underdogs. We've always performed well as underdogs. Um, the last two seasons in the Premier League, we we one of the favourites to go down. Um, this season, like I mentioned, was very different. Um, we've kind of not experienced um, anything. Um, you know, we weren't one of our favourites to go down this season, um, and it's it's been quite quite an odd feeling. But we've always battled back from kind of obscurity and you know almost going out of business that time, and you know close to going out, dropping out of the championship. Which you know, if we'd have done that at that point, um, you know, around that you know financial problems that we had, you know, we might not have might not be where we are now. Um, probably would have been saved still, but you know, being dropping a division would have been. Uh, you know, would have been kind of detrimental to to what they'd hope plan for our future. So um, it's great to be where we are. We, we still remember where we came from, um, even though we're in the Premier League. Much as probably Guto would say about Swansea as well. Got a lot of time for Swansea and, and how they've kind of um, got to where they are now, um, run by fans, invested by fans, and it's very interesting to hear that they've got investors from America. And, and we've just had very similar. At the start of the year, we had two guys. Uh, Josh Harris and David Blitzer, who are well known in NBA and NHL circles in uh, in the states, and to be fair and, and kind of to say some, to Swansea fans, we haven't really seen an awful lot of difference since they've come in. Um, I'm guessing that there'll probably be a little bit more um, over the summer, but um, the plan is for their money to be invested both on uh, the ground, which Sellers Park needs a lot to into it. To be fair. Uh, the, there's no view to us moving, but their money will go towards um, improving the ground and the facilities, and also uh, funding some, um, you know, some of the playing staff as well. So we'll see how that pans out. But um, as of yet, we haven't really seen an awful big change in what we've had at Palace. We've kept the main man as chairman, Steve Parrish, who is one of the four guys who took over the club. So uh, very similar to what Guto said again is that you know the chairman there that hoped that he would stay because you know he's his Swansea going through very much like Steve Parish is at, at Palace and he stayed as chairman um and with these guys coming in as as kind of co-owners and and, and investing some money so um things have changed an awful lot really have um and we're not particularly considered underdogs anymore but I think it's a bit of a reality check this season in that you know there was a lot of hope and, and whether we could make that step up um from the last two seasons we finished kind of um you know 11th and then 10th 
which was fantastic for us. You know, we survived both those seasons. First time we've actually survived a season in the Premier League as as it, as, it, as is the Premier League. Um, and we were looking to push on. But yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with, with the reality check now and again. I think this season we've kind of had that. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting because both of you guys are obviously true kind of underdog stories coming up through the leagues. But mm. it kind of feels the same for us as Tottenham fans, despite not having to deal with shifting leagues. Just because we've always kind of been mid-table to top of mid-table, upper middle class, if you will, of the leagues, um, without ever truly really being in the elite. And this year was another one of those years, and I was a large part of it. I honestly thought that fourth was the upside and sixth or seventh was the downside because we've been in that stretch for so long now, which, considering how we were in the 90s, is a massive step up. But considering how close we were time and time again, it just became very frustrating over time. Uh, and and I would say that this season was was not maybe one of those because a lot of people started to rate Pochettino. But last season, people wanted Pochettino out from the club. I think the thing that most fits the topic is actually individual players that have come through starting a while ago. But in recent times, Gareth Bale, when he was a left back, we had overpaid for him. We lost every match he appeared in. We almost sold him to bring in, I think it was Charlie Adam or someone. I don't remember who it was. It was somebody from Birmingham, I want to say. Um, and then in super recent times with Harry Kane. Last season, had a tremendous season. All summer, it was all about how he was a one-season wonder. Tottenham have to bring in another forward or they're the worst team in football history. He has a slow start to the season. He's contributing in other ways starts banging in the goals again well maybe it's gonna dry up now he's on 22 goals leading the premier league and it just it's so exciting and and we saw it with Bella ali people didn't want to spend the money we spent five million i mean he was a highly touted prospect i'm not saying like we unearthed a gem many people were looking at him but t- being willing to take that plunge is exactly what it will take for us to take a step up to the next level because we don't have the money to buy the players that the traditional top four do. What we need to do is buy players that are either a little on the wrong side of 30, like, well, I guess Vondermart wasn't even 30. It felt like he was. Same with Soldado. Um, where you're buying players that are already established but maybe about to decline, or you have to buy players that aren't at their prime yet. You have to buy them young and watch them develop. And I'm sure the two of you are thinking it's hilarious that I'm talking about us not having the money. But... <laughs> Um, that's that's the situation we're in. And it's the same situation that Liverpool have been in and some of the reasons that they've been struggling. Although this last year, they seem to be splashing the cash again on Premier League-proven players in uh, Milner and Benteke with mixed results. But, um, yeah, I, I'd say that's where people doubt us. A lot The fans, our Tottenham fans, doubt us more than anyone else because we either are expected to be better and then we're not or nobody expects us to be better and then we are. And so at every point, somebody's doubting Tottenham in our place. And, and like I said today, Sky's saying that we've bottled the title chase. How? That's, anyway, that's, that's my quick take on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On that. All right, now we will head into Player Watch. We're going to quickly talk about a player that impressed and a player that disappointed. Although I feel like we won't hear many players that disappointed as all three of us won. So how about two players that impressed? <laughs> oh, two players that have impressed. Um, I will go for uh, Federico Fernandez, who is probably my man of the match against Chelsea. Uh, hasn't had the best of seasons this uh, this year, along with everybody else really at the club. Um, but look. Pretty close to his best yesterday. He was winning absolutely everything in the air, timing challenge as well, um, was keeping things simple in terms of his passing, which is when he's most effective, um, and just looked very assured at the back. Um, Ashley Williams had the odd hairy moment, uh, unusually, but Fernandez was there to tidy up, and it's usually the other way around. Um, so I, th- I thought he had a very, very impressive performance. And uh, the other one, I'll give it to Jefferson Montero. Um, I, I Against Stoke, it was great to see him back, having not played a minute of football under Guido and dropped down momentarily to the under-21 team. Um, so to see him back and really stretching his legs again, playing with confidence, dribbling effectively and putting in some dangerous balls into the box. And, of course, it was he played a large part in our goal. Just great to see him back to his best. Well, not quite back to his best, but just performing the way we know he can again after after such a a long time out of the side. And my reaction after seeing him against Chelsea was that um, we'd really wasted a very, very, very good player this season because he started the season unbelievably well, looked like he was going to be one of the best wingers in the Premier League, and then for some reason just disappeared, just gradually lost confidence, gradually lost his way. And over the last two games, he's shown us what he can do and what we should actually be getting from him if we use him correctly. Uh, and if there was one player who disappointed, unsurprisingly, it's Bafatimi Gomez, who just looks lazier and lazier by the day. Um, and um, it's very difficult to see him at, being at the club next season. I think there would be riots if he was, if I'm honest. Do you think his uh, best mate, Andre Ayew, will also be at the club next year? Or do you think he's also on the way out? Uh, it depends if clubs are willing to pay quite inflated transfer fees for him. I think it would take a heck of a lot of money to take him away from Swansea just because we, we wouldn't we wouldn't accept I don't think anything less than 20 million uh, for him. I'm not sure if clubs would actually be willing to pay that for him. He's, he's had a good se- he's had a very good season at Swansea but has he had the kind of season that's going to you know turn heads right to the top of the table? Probably not. Um, so yeah I, I, I actually think he will probably be here next season which which is great news for us because he is a very, very good player. All right, and Jay, who impressed you and who impressed you for Palace? <laughs> well, I'm going to start with who didn't impress me, actually. I'm going to surprise oh. you. I'm not, I'm not a negative person, but um, Balassi had an off game yesterday uh, when perhaps we needed him more than any other time to, you know, to um, get the win, but other people stepped up, thankfully. Um, very erratic, um, Balassi, yesterday. Um I don't know what I couldn't pinpoint exactly why. I mean, players are entitled to off days every now and again, and that's probably the, the, yeah, the first one that he's really had um, since he's come back from from his injury. So we'll we'll let him have that one. Bakary Sacco um, didn't really. I mean, he had his chance. He had a start yesterday. Um, Wolf Zaha was put on the bench, and he didn't really 
grab it with both hands. You you would expect players who have been on the fringes. He's had in he's had an injury this season as well. Um, struggled to kind of break into that first eleven. And I would certainly expect players, given a chance, would you know try everything to um, hold down that place. But it didn't seem to nothing seemed to come up for him yesterday. Um, through, through you know not not through not trying. Um, just just maybe trying to acclimatise back on the side. I'm not sure exactly why, but um, he didn't do the, the simple things um, that you would expect a player to be doing, um, certainly of his calibre anyway. Um, uh, but, you know, it was great to have Wilf come on as as a sub um, against the Norwich side, which um, were probably feeling the you know the pressure at that point in the game and is a great outlet for us. So in that respect, tactically, it did work for us um, in a way. Um, Hennessy, as I mentioned, made that awful clangor very early on didn't cost us anything thankfully um but he did actually recover and make those saves to keep us at one nil so um you know he did turn out to you know, to do his job but um a few negatives which i don't know i don't normally do but you know um for, for a game of yesterday's um you know how big it was for well particularly for norwich and i thought i'd mention those but for me mila yednex had a fantastic last few games he's broken back into the side Ultimate professional, really. He's not moaned about not being inside. You know, he's been in ever present in the last couple of seasons. Been a real stalwart for us in the middle. Um, so both him and Kabai in the middle yesterday were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, Yednak was kind of the enforcer, doing that job in the middle, you know, doing the dirty role as a big guy, wins the ball, wins the headers, gets stuck in. Kabai gets stuck in. You know, for a, for for a talented guy that he is. Um, but they both were were exceptional yesterday, and uh, and Norwich didn't have any answer for either of the two of them. All right, um, for Tottenham, uh, Eric Lamella, I mentioned at the top of the show, struggled a little bit in the first half, but had such an incredible second half and, and really showed once again that we're on the right path with him. Uh, some people wanted to cut bait last summer, including one Daniel Levy, um, but fortunately we held on to him. And there are matches where Erickson kind of drifts in and out. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's parallel with him drifting left instead of uh, staying centrally. Um, and sometimes we need that. Because Erickson can fade from matches. And so the fact that we have Lamella, Erickson, and Ali now in that three behind the forward, and any of them can just have a moment of brilliance that, that gets you a goal, um, is, is incredibly uh, helpful. And it's one of the reasons we've been as consistent as we have this year. Um, so Eric Lamella impressed. And not much was covered outside of Tottenham circles. But Jan Vertonghen started again today. And the transition of Vertonghen to Vimmer back to Vertonghen could not have been more seamless. Just the level of performance that we've gotten from that position has gone unchanged despite missing somebody that, you know, would have been considered one of the best players in the side at the beginning of the season. And it's a credit to both of them, really. I thought it was a match too early for Vertonghen. Other people saying that when you're facing a team like Manchester United, you play your best 11 if they're available. And Vertonghen was available. And uh, so... Uh, in the theme of doubting, I, I wasn't sure Vertonghen was ready to step back in yet, but he stepped back in brilliantly. Didn't just do his job, but actually impacted the game in a positive way. Having him next to Toby Alderweireld, both being able to be such uh, terrific ball-playing center backs, is hugely instrumental to our team. It's why we struggled in the first half, is they weren't really able to to play a bit. Um, Toby Alderweireld had a delightful little jaunt to the right wing for a little bit of the match. Dyer just drops back, sits next to Jan, and they cover everything. So it was just a very, very composed match from our defense. Uh, and the fact that Vertonghen and Vimmer have been so brilliant this season is a large reason why we have the best defense in the league. And once more, that's not just me saying that. That is 
statistically proven based on goals allowed. So uh, Lamella and Jan Vertonghen were very impressive for me. All right, and Jay, usually we say this for Thursday shows, but you have a midweek match. Uh, this one against Everton, who are going to be visiting Selhurst. What do you see in this match? Yeah, we do indeed. And, you know, Palace are unbeaten in two games now, winning a draw. Uh, drawing against West Ham last weekend, which was an excellent point for us. And also to win against Norwich, which was, uh, you know, obviously our first win of uh, 2016. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can go into the game on Wednesday with renewed confidence, uh, you know, from those two games. And Everton side that are a little bit in a little bit of disarray. They reached FA Cup semi-finals, very similar to we have. And you know, those semi-finals are quite interesting with the four teams that have well, potentially four teams. I mean, five teams in it still at the moment. But there's um, yeah, all those teams are on the fringes of having to save their season through the FA Cup, really. Um, in a way, uh, Watford and Palace kind of nothing to lose really because not expected to kind of finish in that top top bracket, but. Uh, uh, but Everton, for one, you know, a lot's expected. Uh, there's a lot of disarray in the, amongst the fans because there's mentions that they don't want Martinez to stay. Um, don't think he's doing that good a job. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how um, how the game goes on Wednesday. They're not great travellers either. Um, so yeah, they're they're not in great form either. So um, I'll be happy with a point just to keep the uh, the points table ticking over for us, really, and just to uh, yeah, give ourselves something to uh, look forward to the semi final. Um, be an interesting one, really. To be interesting to see what sort of side that Martinez puts out, um, because he was criticised a lot for the, uh, you know, for letting equaliser for well for Everton letting an equaliser against uh, Watford yesterday. I think it was a forty. 45th plus three minutes or something that Watford scored their equaliser right before the break after Everton had taken the lead. So, um, yeah, it will be interesting. Looking forward to the game. Um, renew, a bit of renewed confidence in the side, hopefully. Um, and, uh, and and I'm hopeful we get at least a point. Wickham going to be starting? Good question. Um, I, I mean, the Gale issue, he, he's, not a stri- he's not a lone striker, Gale. He really isn't. He can't play that role. We've tried him a few times and he just can't do it. And I, I'm pretty confident that Wickham uh, will start on Wednesday. Um, I don't think he was probably quite fit enough to start and play the whole game yesterday um, against Norwich. So um, there is a rumour that Adeboyle might be fit as well, but I'm not sure whether we're going to see Adeboyle again for the rest of the season after uh, his trip to uh, international duties. Said he wouldn't play uh, to help out Palace, decided to play and got injured. So um, not quite sure how that's going to pan out between the end of the season, but we'll see. All right. Uh, well, this is a bit of a short one, but thanks so much for coming on, guys. If you have any projects you want to plug or tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Uh, apologies that the Jackass hasn't been updated uh, very often over the last few weeks. It is down to technical difficulties. We are really hopeful of getting a, one up this week. Um, that That is, though, um, technology permitting. And you can find that at the Jackass. Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm editor of theeaglesbeak.com. You can get us on Twitter at the Eaglesbeak. Um, also, um, a football pundit and social media manager on a local radio football show called Back of the Net. And you can get us on Twitter at underscore Back of the Net underscore. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. You can find my fantasy stuff over at theeaglesbeak.com as well as playtaga.com. And you can listen to our FPL roundtable, which goes up on Thursdays. Uh, things will get a little weird scheduling-wise on all of those fronts as we head into these double game weeks. Uh, But you can check out my Twitter for more updates there. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Mm